Shio Shio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Native Podcast. Happy 2021. I hope the year is treating you well so far. Hope you're getting vaccinated. Hope you're uh, staying out of any mob insurrection attacks and just uh, taking care of yourself and uh, your families. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Um, Stacy Leeds has joined me, and she is just an amazing person, uh, someone I look up to a ton, a pioneer um, for Native women, and just a badass, to be honest. She, um, she uh, grew up in Oklahoma, was a basketball player, um, got into Indian law in her higher ed, and she made it all the way to being a dean of a law school, and now is uh, going back to being a faculty at Arizona State while also um, being a district court judge for the Muscogee Creek Nation. She's also been a Supreme Court Justice for the Cherokee Nation. Um, And she also is working with my tribe um, on the kind of the business side. And we actually crossed paths at Tennessee when I was doing my PhD and she had come back because she had actually done her MBA at the University of Tennessee. Go Vols. Um, I am so excited and I hope you enjoy this episode. All righty. So, uh, Stacey, I want to start by going back to just telling about where you grew up and what was young Stacey Leeds like as a a child? Um, My mom would probably describe me as a terror, but I think I was a a probably well-behaved child, right? (laughs) Um, I grew up in Muskogee, um, Muskogee, Oklahoma, and, um, um, you know, just a a regular working class neighborhood with my grandparents about a block away from us. And uh, it was just me and my brother in the house. So not a very big household, but um, you know, kind of early age, my mom said that I was a terror and uh, didn't want to take no for any answer. So I was the wild child. (laughs) Yeah. So were you, were you playing sports? Were you like into reading books, all that? What was the, what was kind of your thing when you were young? So I was definitely the little sports kid, um, you know, tomboy is what they used to call us, right? And yeah. um, so I was a couple of years, two and a half years younger than my brother. And uh, whatever he and his friends were doing, I had to be in on it. So my first um, sports outing was with T-ball. And um, finally, after I begged and begged, they let me play. And I was the only girl on the team. So yeah. they... Uh, they put me at catcher and uh, we played for McDonald's. We were the McDonald's quarter pounders and uh, I would have been like five. Now that's a sponsorship. (laughs) That is some sponsorship. So I would have been like five years old at the time. And I think that that's the first uh, funny story of like female athlete uh, to be because uh, the, the league tried to insist as a five-year-old girl uh, that I wear a cup in t-ball <laughs> you know of course my dad, no my dad was like are you kidding me well those are the rules <laughs> that's so. hilarious that's that's wild so did and then did you uh was there a sport that you like focused on once you got like older or did you kind of do everything um so basketball was my yeah. love and I started kind of being the gym rat around the YMCA when I was like in the first grade when my brother and his friends were playing. And um, then in the third grade was when I was old enough to actually be in the league. 
So yeah. I played basketball from third grade on and was always the only girl on the team until the sixth grade. They finally um, had enough uh, girls to field uh, an all-girl team in a boys league. And so um, yeah. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, that's so great. Yeah. I, I, I remember that too. I remember T-ball for sure was one of the big ones, but it was a lot of more mixed girls and boys all together. And then, uh, so when you were, you know, getting into middle school and high school, what were you, did you like, know you're going to go to college? What was that, that whole path like? Yeah. So, um, the crazy thing sports wise um, in, in junior high was that, you know, I had played four years of full court five on five basketball, but in Oklahoma in the eighties, they still have that very archaic um, six on six half. Yeah. And so um, after growing up playing five on five your whole life, then you get to the seventh grade and then they switch all the girls, you know, over to this um, half court basketball. Um, but yeah, in my family, um, you know, my mom and dad didn't go to college, but they insisted early on that we were going to do that. And mm-hmm. so it was just kind of a foregone conclusion that that was going to be my path. Um, whatever that looked like <laughs> was, uh, to be seen. Um, but you know, I probably knew at least by ninth or 10th grade that my path was going to be, you know, getting recruited by college coaches for, um, basketball. And then I played tennis too. So I ended up doing that in college, but, um, yeah, so junior year and senior year of high school, um, just kind of fielding calls, um, from coaches at different universities and, um, ended up deciding to actually go the division three route because I thought that that just made more academic sense in the long run. So I ended up at WashU in St. Louis. And, um, you know, at the time it was a school that I had never heard of, even though I was in Oklahoma and it was in Missouri and it was a great school. Um, when the coach reached out, that was the first time I had ever heard of it. And I just thought it was, um, you know, might as well been another planet from where I was. Well, yeah, I was going to say, how far away from home were you? You know, it, it wasn't that that far, you yeah. know, like six, six and a half hour drive. Um, yeah. But, you know, it was out of state. It was at a place no one had heard of. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, just, just socially, um, thank God for the athletes, because without yeah. that community, I would have just been lost. That's what I often tell people that for our Native kids, when they're, especially if they're leaving a, a reservation or a tight-knit small community if they at least play a sport they at least have a team and that group of like automatic community when they when they move uh, to school so did you uh were you interested in a particular like field academically did you like know you i'm gonna do i'm gonna major in law or legal studies or what was your thinking there so um i thought that i wanted to be a history teacher and a coach and that's what Mm -hmm. i going to do. And I loved history. So um, it was no question what I was going to major in. Um, So I went the history route and um, kind of found myself, um, you know, interested in a lot of history of marginalized populations. So I ended up taking a lot of classes in African and African American studies as well. Yeah. Um, But in St. Louis, you know, there was a pretty large urban Indian population. And um, I got hooked in with that community pretty quickly because one of our other basketball teammates was an Indian girl as well. And so um, 
most of the people on campus that were native were graduate students and they had washer and dryers at their house. So we would like, you know, go to their houses, eat dinner, wash our clothes. And then they all started coming to our games and stuff. So we got kind of plugged in with that community. Um, and that's ultimately what led me to law school because I remember being over at someone's house and they were in the masters of social work school and um, the WashU social work program has produced a lot of native social workers that do Indian child welfare work. And um, I found out that I could actually take one of their classes and get credit toward my degree. So uh, several of us signed up together for an Indian child welfare class. And one of the assignments at the end of that class was to prepare testimony as if you were giving um, you know, testimony for advocacy before Congress. And when I did that, I was just like, whoa, you know, this feels like a game. You're like preparing and you've got this moment and mm -hmm. it's intensity and the adrenaline. And it really mimicked a lot the, the kind of feeling that I had on and off the court. And so in that class, I was like, well, I'm going to law school. This is this yeah. is definitely what I'm supposed to do. So, yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, that, that's such a good point. I feel like with, with law, like the, you know, you go into you have a game plan and then yeah. you have to react to what the, you know, other teams doing. So that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's so great. And then, you know, I mean, especially Indian law, you know, obviously is a whole other, you know, thing outside of just uh, the regular, you know, legal studies. But I mean, within Indian law itself, there's so much within that. Did you have a, like a specialization or did you, was there one path that you saw yourself going down with that? So I came back to Oklahoma for law school and I went to school mm -hmm. at Tulsa, um, mostly because I was just so homesick and ready to be back around my family. But then also those were the schools at the time that had the, you know, well-recognized Indian law programs. Um, so just Indian law in general was my interest. Um, certainly how to protect kids was an important part of that. But as it evolved, I really got interested in the property law aspects of it. And, you know, when I graduated from law school, it was still, um, you know, in the 90s. And a lot of the tribal courts were either coming on um, to their maturity or they had only been created within the last 10 or 20 years. So that nation building piece of it where you're taking institutions and rebuilding them in a way that makes sense for your community really resonated with me. So the tribal court piece and the, the property and natural resources is kind of the subset within Indian law that I focused on early. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't know if I've told you this, but I actually worked for our tribal court when I was uh, in my undergrad, just for one, our, our tribe has a great summer program. And that was fascinating. Like I just, I learned so much um, in that little bit of time and just how unique we are that we have that that mm -hmm. our our own law systems and our own sovereignty but then a lot of times we have to go outside and get you know or at least then this was early 2000s we had you know people who weren't as familiar with indian law coming in and trying to you know it's 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 a very interesting dynamic for sure mm -hmm. um so then you know after after law school and what what was the path kind of like after that? The I know you've I mean done a ton of huge things and you've gone back to being you know a dean of a law school and then um, being on this you know kind of the Supreme Court Cherokee Nation and then um, was it just kind of what was that path like? I feel like it was kind of a whirlwind. <laughs> I feel like it was a whirlwind too, but um, yeah. the same thing. It's you know everything in life so far in my experiences 
it takes you to a place that then you meet somebody who impacts your life and then that takes you to the next place. And when I was in law school, one of my mentors um, and teachers, Bill Rice, you know, he just pulled me aside one day and said, you know how few Native women are teaching at American law schools right now? We can count them on one hand and you need to go do that because there's so much to be done in that area. And I said, oh, I wanna practice law. And he was like, you can do all of that too, but you gotta you know, consider that. And, um, you know, I just mentioned that for the fact that it would have never occurred to me to try to be a law professor. It just demonstrates how one person can plant a seed that then can take you to places that you would have never imagined. And so that's how the academic piece, you know, started as just a remote possibility. And let me look into that and see what's required and, you know, try to put myself in a position to do that. Um, so I, I think that's a big part of my story. And um, I think it's a big part of most everyone I know's story who comes out of Indian country and finds themselves in a place that they just couldn't have imagined that they might end up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's so true. Like so much of, I feel like my path too is and I'm like, because someone told me about an opportunity that I wouldn't even have, have thought of. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out for sure. And, um, and then where, so I know where in here was the removal ride, because I want to, I want to hear more about that. And, um, if, for people who don't know, can you kind of explain what that, what that was? Sure. So um, back in the, the 80s, the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma created a program which really was supposed to be, you know, a leadership development program to try to make sure that that next generation would um, know the history, know the people in places that bring us to the present. And in creating that, um, that program, the idea was that you would take a group of Cherokee kids back to the homelands um, maybe for many of them, it's the first time they've ever been there. And then there would be a bicycle ride um, as a group, retracing the Trail of Tears um, and kind of, you know, bringing that home into the flesh and blood of those individuals so that they understood all the history and, um, you know, that path. But then, you know, over time, um, it grew and grew and grew in popularity um, and it became more and more of, you know, um, it's a wellness thing, it's a fitness thing, it's a cultural and spiritual thing, um, and it's a leadership development program. And um, it's just a tight-knit group of people um, who've gone through that. Um, I didn't do it um, in my youth, but uh, when I was in my mid-40s, um, they had started talking about, maybe we let some old people go, you know, one or two folks who um, could go along on this trip and kind of bridge um, the generations. And um, my pitch was, you know, being at a large university, you see all of these students travel internationally and go on these programs where they get academic credit to learn about somebody else's culture. And, you know, my idea was, well, let's make this for academic credit and let the students that are in college, um, you know, get academic credit for this experience because what they're learning is a, much more meaningful to them personally, but B, just as rigorous as what we, you know, quantify for academic credit for other things. And so that's what we did through NSU. And I was the teacher of record um, for that. And, um, you know, over the years, this has become a Cherokee Nation and Eastern Band of Cherokee program because now there's uh, groups that team up from both locations. Um, and that has been, I think, really good for the program too, just to understand those different 
perspectives that bring us modern Cherokee people today. Um, and that, you know, both of those paths are, are valid and important and intellectually interesting, you know, and things that both of us need to learn. Um, so that was the program. Um, I did that in 2016 uh, with a cohort of about 14 others. And um, it, uh, it was something that just changed my life. You know, um, I knew that it would be physically, you know, challenging as somebody in their mid forties to just get on a bike day after day after day and ride about a thousand miles with a bunch of 16 to 18 year olds. Um, but for me, it was more just, you know, that, that group um, feeling and that group mentality and actually physically being at each of those locations that I have spent so much time teaching and writing and studying myself, but it's not real until you put your feet there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you're, I can't even imagine. I'm, I'm so jealous because every person I know that has done it, they're just like, it's like the most life-changing thing. And I see the bonds that the people have that do that together. And, um, mm. it's so, so powerful. And I, I, I love what you mentioned about how, like, you know, we send students abroad all the time, but we don't, sometimes we don't, we forget about some of these, um, places, you know, within our own homelands that like, mm-hmm. I think are often overlooked. I'm, I'm big on pushing that as well as like, Hey, let's also, we can study. There's a lot of things that we can study here in the United States that, um, would be really beneficial to students. So I love that. And so had you, so you, you know, you played basketball in college and then did, had you kind of kept, were you still into fitness and stuff after that? And then how was that training for the, the ride? Um, I probably wasn't as trained up as I should have been, you know, um, I, um, I didn't hit all of the rides that I needed to, because at the time that I was doing that, I was still setting Dean of the law school. So my, Mm -hmm. you know, work week looked, looked crazy. Um, but like everything else, you know, we all former athletes joke with each other that you have some sort of disease of the mind where you're like, I've got this, I've got this, I can do anything, you know? And so it was um, fairly late in the ride uh, before we left that I said, you know, I need to do a very big day and make sure that I'm going to make it. So I just went out and did a hundred mile day um, over a bunch of hills in Northwest Arkansas. And then after that day, I was like, all right, that is, that's going to be, you know, no harder than anything one day that we're going to do on this trip. But, you know, the, the problem with that mentality is that that was one day and that bike rides over about three and a half weeks. And it's not any one day that gets you, it's the, the day to day to day, you know, mental and physical and, you know, spiritual grind um, that you're under during that time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I can imagine like, and, uh, but I think like a lot of things people don't realize like, yeah, it's a huge physical feat, but there also is the, the spiritual, the educational and all the other pieces that go along with it and how powerful it is to stop at those, those, you know, those pieces of, you know, such a big part of our history. So that's, that's so great. And, um, then, you know, now I would love to hear more about your new website, Indigenous Well. Um, I mean, you just came into 2021 blazing with all this great stuff. And then I was so, so cool. So how did this Indigenous Well come about? Well, um, over the summer, um, I had the experience that a lot of my friends throughout Indian country have had in their 40s or late 30s. And that is you go to that doctor's appointment and you find out that you either have 
high blood pressure or high cholesterol or you're pre-diabetic and it sort of hits you like a wall. And all of a sudden in your mind, you're that 18 year old athlete that has it all together, but then your body has evolved into something different. And you look around your communities and you see so much heart disease and diabetes and, and people who are struggling with health and wellness issues. And then all of a sudden you're one of them, right? And so, um, you know, for me, it was a response to, um, you know, a, a doctor's visit where my cholesterol was just about 300, right? And it was one of those times where the doctor says, you're either going on meds or I'll give you 90 days to get it together. And so I, you know, did something pretty radical in my view. And I basically converted to a completely plant-based mm -hmm. diet and, with diet and pretty moderate exercise, um, it completely you know, rebounded and, and I had this miraculous sort of health recovery. And, you know, during that time period, uh, I'm looking at my parents, they're both fairly healthy compared to their friends, but they're both on statins, they're both on high blood pressure meds. And, you know, the, the genetics and some of the com community, you know, just realities that, that a lot of us live in, there's a cycle around us of things that are going to cause premature death if, if we don't really figure it out. And so I had talked to a few of my friends and uh, my best friend said, you know, you ought to blog about this because um, I was given the luxury of some time and some fast reading skills. And I was able to spend a couple of months weeding through and learning some things and, and discovering, if you will, um, you know, some, some health hacks and, and fixes. And so I decided to kind of share that with some of my friends in hopes that they might get some ideas that would be helpful in their life. Um, but, you know, part of it was just driven by the fact that I found several people online who I thought were great motivators and had really good ideas, but what they were saying and the words that they were using to communicate are not gonna be the type of websites that the average middle-aged woman in Indian country is gonna relate to. And so I thought that I might be in a pretty unique situation to read all of that, digest it, and then communicate it in a way that people who don't have a lot of time could maybe just read and process. And then the same thing that was going on during this time is we're rolling up on like eight months now of COVID where people are in their houses, you know, a, an incredible amount of loss and grief around everyone. And so many of my friends and acquaintances and colleagues are just in this phenomenal funk right now, you know? And so I thought, well, if there's something where I could help bring a community of people together who have a lot of background information in common with each other to where I wouldn't be the only person writing that we could draw on stories and um, journeys from other people that that might, you know, be the tonic that Indian country needs in some small way. Um, so that was the idea behind it. And um, it's been really well received. And I'm already learning a lot from the other people who have contributed to it. So um, it's about my own personal accountability and growth as much as it is sharing with the rest of my friends. Yeah, I'm really excited to contribute. And I loved seeing some of the art, the, the mansplaining and then the cheese one, like the dairy one. Like I, that is the one thing I was like, I, cheese is my weakness. It's my, always my like commodity cheese too. Oh my gosh. We all know about, about that. It's so funny. Um, so 
you know, a big part of, I think, wellness is kind of finding, trying to find balance and something I've been so impressed with following you these past couple of years is just like how, how you do seem to do so many things, but also I see that you're really, you know, involved with your family and how, you know, I think we talk about like work-life balance, but it's more like work-life integration and not necessarily, you know, choosing one or the other, but um, how have you navigated that throughout your career? Just trying to find, you know, a balance and, um, keep your sanity. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I hate that whole work-life balance type concept because I think it's this end goalpost that no one ever fully gets to. And then mm-hmm. it's something that, you know, creates negative talk in ourselves because we see somebody else and we think that they hell have it together but they're probably struggling just as much as anybody else to get it together. So it's these like false perceptions about people, you know, that's lingering out there. Um, But, you know, I have kind of found in my center that um, I have gotten completely off stray and worked too much and attended to, you know, some things because at that moment that was the number one priority and then I let other things go. And so, um, you know, part of my sharing uh, pretty raw uh, pieces of myself on that blog is that um, all of us are just on this journey and there's no perfect person. And I think it's important for those of us who, you know, have a voice that others don't is to, you know, pony up and admit our own failures because people need to see that as much as they need to see some perceived person who they think might have it all together. Right. Right. Um, So, you know, I I think that I struggle like everybody else, but, um, you know, one thing that I hope that I can keep centered is just when I'm really still engaging in working out and in eating better, then I'm a better person all the way around. But when I get completely focused on one thing, whatever it is, and have to like forcefully bring myself back to that center, you know, that's, that's my ongoing, ongoing struggle. Um, but one of the things I think that that a lot of my Indian colleagues across campuses and in communities have in common is just, you know, finding yourself and your community and humor and being real and, and authentic and who you are. And if you can always like go back to that, you're probably going to be fine. Right. I mean, you you've done a lot of things in your career that might push you out of your comfort zone, but you got to come back to who you are at some point, too. Or, or why are you doing all of this? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what blows my mind too. People often think that like the native community, like we're so serious all the time. And I'm like, no, we love to have fun and like joke about all this stuff. And it's, it's so refreshing when you can have people that like, just understand that. And even if it is all, you know, digital through this, but now I feel like we're all digital all the time. So it's, it's kind of, we're all kind of trying to play into that. If we can just get like good Wi-Fi on all the reservations, that's the next, that's the next step. Um, and then you're also a mom and I love seeing, uh, the photos of your son. What has the past year been like for him with, you know, trying to do online school and, um, just what, and what is he into? Is he into sports? Is he into, you know, what's, what's. So he is absolutely not into sports. Um, almost in a, in a, you know, complete rejection. That's his identity. That's not his thing, right? That yeah. might thing, but that's not his thing. Um, So he's the typical 12 year old gamer boy. (laughs) Mm. And um, we've been lucky around our house because um, 
he really relates very well to the online platforms and is somehow still able to engage with his friends socially online, playing games with each other and just yeah. talking and that kind of thing. So I think he's one of the rare kids who is thriving in this, maybe more so than the face-to-face. -face. Um, and so, you know, my my push is just, let's get outside, let's do something, let's, you know, try to, to get off of the screen time because you spend your time as a mom saying, limit your screen time, limit your screen time. And now right. all of us all day long for eight hours a day are, you know, on the screen. So all that's sort of, you know, out of the window. Um, but uh, it's been interesting. He started Cherokee Nation's uh, seventh grade this year uh, when we wrapped up in Fayetteville and, and started living full time in Tahlequah again. Um, that was one of the gifts of opportunity that he that he was able to have. So for the first time in his life, 100 percent of the students in his class are all other Indian kids. And he's used yeah. to one or two in a public school district in Arkansas. Um, so that's just been a lot of fun. And for him to have you know, a, a, a native man PE coach who was a former athlete and, you know, being able to relate with him. I think it's really been a gift. No, that is so great. That's amazing. I can't, yeah, I bet it's such a trip to go from being the only one to now being, you know, <laughs> one of many, one of many. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so great. Oh yeah. He's, he's such a cutie. I love the, <laughs> the photos and the things and he just, I, and he has that great mischievous, you know, like yeah. nice and smile and get away with just about anything kind of look. <laughs> he's a funny kid yeah. and he's been, uh, you know, always around grandparents who tease a lot and, you know, so it's, uh, it's, it's a lot in his DNA. Yeah. And so, and then now I would love to know more about your kind of your new position that you're taking on at Arizona state. Can you tell yeah. me about that? Yeah. So um, I joined the faculty uh, as part of the Indian legal program and um, I'm very excited about it. Um, you know, it's the first place in my career where I've been um, part of a faculty that has, you know, now a total of six native law faculty, you know, as part of a program. So I feel like a kid in the candy store because I'm used to being at these large universities where there's only a few native faculty and you're certainly the only person in your department. Um, so I just feel like it's a, a wealth of opportunity for colleagues and then also just, um, you know, it's a very large um, native population on campus, not just in the law school, but across all of ASU. So I think the, um, the opportunity to make a big, big impact in the next, you know, half of my career with a large group of, of native students that will come through that program. Um, it's, it's very exciting. Um, I'm also going to have some flexibility to continue doing some of the things that I had on my plate already. Uh, before I started that, one of which I'm uh, dialing in today from Muscogee Creek Nation Tribal Court. Um, I'm going to continue as being one of their judges um, here at Creek Nation and um, be able to continue, you know, working with Eastern Band Cherokee on the economic development front as well. Yeah. Um, so to me, it's the it's the perfect mix, mix uh, perfect mixture and the, the best of, of all worlds. Kind of what Bill Rice was yeah. describing to me, what might be possible when he first told me to you know, test those waters. So it's kind yeah, of a full circle moment. That's the beauty of academia. I feel like it's like if you can find the right position, you can kind of 
be able to teach and, you know, do research, but also, you know, do the thing, other things in your, in your life that you're passionate about and kind of balance the, the practical with the, the academic side. So that's great. Um, I don't want to keep you much longer, but I'm, I'm curious. So if there's, you know, a young uh, native athlete, you know, coming up through high school, maybe doesn't know what they want to do. Um, what advice would you have for, have for them? as far as like, do they need to go to college or, you know, what would you, what, what would you suggest? Well, I, I do think that being an athlete does not distract you at all. It probably gives you skill sets that you will not fully appreciate until you're, you know, um, much further along in your career. Um, but um, I just can't say enough about sports and, and what it does to help equip you to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, I'm a huge proponent of higher education for all students, especially Native students. So I think that sports can possibly open doors for people. Um, but at the same time, um, sports gives you the luxury of knowing what it feels like um, to be truly passionate about something. And when I think about life and, and looking back at sports, the happiest I've ever been in my whole life outside of family issues is running up and down a court, you know, an hour can pass by and you don't feel like you're working out and you are having fun and you're fully engaged. And, you know, that's really hard to, to replicate, but um, you know what passion feels like and tastes like. And so you can translate that into any career that you're gonna have. And if what you're doing doesn't give you a little sense of that joy, like you had when you were in sports, then you might need to reevaluate what it is that you're doing because you have the luxury of knowing what that feels like and not everybody does. So that's, you know, one thing. Um, and so whether that's higher ed or, or whether that's pursuing some other, um, you know, educational route locally, um, I think all of them are fine, but you just have to find what, what really drives you. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's great. Um, thank you, Stacey. Fast. 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 Fast.